You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 45. Okay, with me today we have three very special guests. This is Zach Abbott, Josh Estill, and Arwen Boyer, the designers of Dark is the Night. Everyone, welcome to Your Tables on Fire. Thank you for having us. It is absolutely my pleasure. Why don't we, uh, let's just go around the horn and everyone take a moment and introduce themselves. Okay, um, I, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Zach Abbott. I'm from the south suburbs of Chicago, uh, going to Bradley, just like Josh and Arwen. Uh, my main role in the game was to help design the mechanics and to help playtesting sessions move along smoothly, as well as keep track of the data that we got from that. Reason why I got into games is quite a bit of a long story, but to sum it up, I really think that they have a big impact on players, and I think that they're the next step in the evolution of mankind's ability to express themselves. Okay, big words. Uh, my name is Arwen Boyer, uh, and um, I was one of the also one of the main designers on Dark is the Night. Um, I also did all of the initial artwork for the game when we were very first making it. Later, we hired someone to make some more professional art for the final product, um, but that was my main role in the game. I'm from central Illinois, and my hometown is actually about 20 minutes away from Bradley, so that's pretty cool. And I've pretty much just been playing video games uh, my entire life, and I really like them. And so when I found out that Bradley had a game design program, it just seemed perfect since it was so close to home. Yeah. And uh, I'm Josh. I'm from Miami, Florida, and I go to Bradley, obviously. I got into games. I've been into games my whole life, and I've always enjoyed like building things, whether it be like with Legos or Kinects or like in games themselves, like in Spore. And so, like, I decided that making games would be a really fun thing to try out, and I did, and I really liked it, and so I decided to stick with it up until now, and I'm really happy with where I'm at. Yeah, very cool. Okay, well, let's uh, let's take a quick trip down memory lane. Think back and tell me what was the very first game that really caught your eye. Um, that's a good. I remember the first game that I played. Uh, my dad brought in his NES, that's Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, <laughs> and he uh, plugged in Pac-Man, the original. Pa- well, not the original Pac-Man, but Pac-Man nonetheless. And watching him do so much better than me made me. Uh, I was like, I think four. But watching him do so much better than me really made me want to continue exploring the what video games were and stuff like that. Thanks. That's a hard question. Um, well, my dad has always been playing video games. You know, he was playing them before I was born, and he's still playing them today. So um, he really impacted me in that way. Um, so I remember being a little tiny child and uh, watching him play the Nintendo 64, especially stuff like um, Zelda, like Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time and stuff. Um, and I think uh, one of the first games that I actually attempted to play as a small child uh, was the Sly Cooper series, because my dad uh, had purchased all of them, and they looked like a lot of fun. Um, and he was always better at them than I was, but hopefully I surpassed him eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
In terms of first game I ever played, I have no idea. Because like when I was young, my mom had her Game Boy. And I'm th I think I played that a lot. And then I got a Game Boy of my own. And so like I think the first game that ever caught my eye, like my favorite game from my childhood, would have to be uh, Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness. Mm. Just like the the open world and like the way the game played out because I was always a fan of Pokemon and just being able to like see everything in 3D that was it was really amazing and it always stuck with me so mm -hmm. well what about I mean we're here talking about Dark as the Night which is a tabletop game so was there some point where you got interested in tabletop gaming or did that just happen to come out for me the I, I had always, like, played tabletop games, like, New Year's with the family and stuff like that. But the first tabletop game that, like, blew my mind was um, HeroScape. It's not really sold anymore. I think it got discontinued, like, five or six years ago. But essentially, it was you had a whole bunch of tile sets. You built your own little battlefields with and had all these mini figurines that had different uh, abilities and stuff like that. And just the infinite amount of possibilities that this board game gave for play experiences was amazing so that's kind of always been that's where i consider my um starting point for being interested in making board games this is probably going to sound ironic and bad but i <laughs> i actually um you know for the longest time was very biased towards video games like i greatly preferred them over board games um <laughs> i played them so often but this project definitely gave me like a better appreciation of how you know, board games differ from video games and how the creation of them differs from video games. And I definitely think that I enjoyed them a lot more than I used to. Well, that's good. That's good. This project was worth something. Exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was biased towards video games. I just never really played board games when I was younger. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I just didn't know they existed. Because, like, as soon as we went into college, I started playing a lot more board games that I'd never really heard about. Like, not like your, your board games for the typical family. I'm talking about, like, uh, Dominion, where you have to build your own deck, or Avalon, which is like a social deduction game. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I guess I never really, I just never really delved into that world because I never really knew it existed. I was only ever on the surface with like family board games and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, so it's interesting talking about, you know, video games versus board games. Give me some pros and cons of the two mediums. You know, what what's the strength of one and what's the strength of the other? Um, I would say. Board games, actually this is coming almost straight out of our uh, Game Design 1 class. Board games give you a really good way to focus on mechanics rather than having to have all the fancy visuals. You can really sell something that has incredible mechanics that provide good atmosphere without having to go and have a 3D modeler or a programmer or you know any kind of artist really. Where video games, they have all of those things that help bring the player in much quicker. So I can have a little bit of a lax in regards to mechanics. They don't have to be incredibly original. That's why we have a million platformers out there that people still play or fighting games that people still play that don't necessarily have unique mechanics, but they might have a new aesthetic that draws people in. I think um, just designing the design process between the two is similar in some ways and very different in others because, you know, for video games, um, you have to worry about, you know, maybe level design, which you don't necessarily have to worry about for board games, obviously, because they're not, they're not really levels, um, but you do have to worry about the design of, like, you know, the board or the design of the pieces. Like, so it's, it's the same ideas, they're just portrayed differently 
you know, based on what you're making. I mean, I guess one of the pros of a board game is that you get to play... It's a lot easier to play with friends in a board game than it is to play a game with your friends. Because, like, with a game, you need to have all the controllers, and, like, sometimes you might need an internet connection. Whereas with a board game, you just need the, the board and its pieces. And at the same time, like, the board, with the board game, you don't have to necessarily... If you want to play a multiplayer game, you don't have to deal with the terrible community that a lot of online multiplayer games have been plagued with. Whereas with, if you just want to play like a big uh, board game with like 10 people, if you usually you'll, you might know all the 10 people, and even if you don't, like chances are those 10 people are not going to be anywhere near as bad as like the 10 people you might encounter on Call of Duty or um, any other big online multiplayer shooter or game, you know? Right. Do you see a future where board games and video games are diverging they're getting they're separating or are they getting closer together uh well we did meet that one company zach i don't know if you remember them at the at the conference we went to there was a one company that was trying to merge both of them together they actually just emailed me back yesterday so it's funny you brought (laughs) mentioned that um (laughs) i think there's definitely uh beginning to be a crossover because you see a lot of turn-based video games especially with mobile markets that are drawing heavily from board game mechanics in addition to that, with new technologies like augmented reality, there are uh, card games where like you'd put your card down and the monster pops up out of the card if you're wearing the augmented reality goggles. So I think there's a serious crossover happening. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the program you guys are in. So you're all in the same game design program. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And did any of you enter the program thinking, hey, I'm going to make a board game? Nope, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so was that a was that a class project or how did that play out? All right, okay. Um, so this game, Dark as the Night, started as an assignment for our game design one class when we were sophomores. And the original assignment for the game was actually kind of interesting because um, our instructor based the criteria for the assignment off of a contest that was happening on BoardGameGeek.com. Mm-hmm. where the main thing that you had to do when you were designing a game is that the game that you made, once you printed out all the pieces, uh, had to fit inside of an Altoids tin. So that affected the scope, I suppose. You know, the game couldn't be too huge, like literally. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit inside of uh, inside of the tin. So uh, we made this game about, you know, a hunter and a monster, and the monster's hidden. And uh, the, the game was originally called Killer Be Killed, and then once, uh, once the class was over, um, our instructor encouraged all the groups in the class to submit it to uh, this thing called SultCon, which was in Utah, which was a sort of a more official uh, contest because um, there were like actual game publishers there and that sort of thing, you know, uh, judging all the games that were submitted. And we didn't place. So we didn't really expect to because it was more serious and we were just students. But it was really cool because after the contest was over, I was contacted by this publisher guy. You know, from some random publishing company called Ape Games. I'd never heard of him before. And he's like, hey, you know, I think that your game is cool. Would you mind sending me a prototype? You know? And then it just went up from there. And eventually he said, hey, you know, I think this game is really neat and I'd like to pick it up. Hmm. How long ago was that you submitted to SaltCon? It was after the class, like right after. Yeah, so it was, it was sophomore year. Probably yeah, probably too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's let's take a step back uh, with regards to Dark as the Night, and I know you gave it a little explanation, but c- can you give us the pitch? What you know, what, if someone's going to look to back this game, what are they getting? 
So I think the biggest appeal to Darkest Night is the uh, its ability to create a very tense atmosphere. Basically, the game is a turn-based game. You have a hunter and you have a monster, and you're trying to eliminate the other before they get you. What creates this atmosphere is only the uh, player who's playing the hunter does not know where the monster is. The, the monster is the only one with all the information. So you're constantly circling around this campfire, which is the center of the board, as the hunter trying to find the monster and decide where they are in the darkness while the monster is also following you around the campfire trying to get you. So it's like a game of cat and mouse. That's a really clever setup. Where where did the idea come from? Um, okay, so <laughs> in the game design class, um, our instructor was like, hey, you guys should all come up with ideas and be ready by next class. And I'm like, cool, I'll definitely do that. And then like two hours before the next class, I suddenly realized I didn't have an idea yet. And I'm like, <laughs> here we go, it's time. And in 20 minutes, I came up with this totally random idea that I pulled out of nowhere um, about here's a hunter around a campfire and there's a monster in the dark and it just, you know, escalated from there. Didn't wow. by dice? Isn't that how uh, our teams were picked? It was, it was. Yeah, our teams were picked by dice. Yeah, so we all had to roll a dice in order to get our teams and we happened to get in the same team, which was like an act of God. But <laughs> <laughs> Not too uh, many acts of God in the IM department. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, so you came up with the idea of the theme of you know a hunter and a monster. How did the, how did the mechanics come out? Um, well, it's interesting because I actually still have in my notebook like the original page where I wrote down all the crap that I originally thought up for this uh, for this game idea, um, and it has changed a lot. Like the basic concept is still the same, where there's a campfire in the middle, there's a hunter around the campfire, and then a monster in the dark around the hunter. But a lot of it has changed, and one of the one of the main mechanics of the game is that the hunter has um, some items in her arsenal that she can use to try and find um, and hunt down the monster. And those have changed a lot since we first started the game. Because I just brought in the idea and pitched it to the other two, and I'm like, "Hey, here's a here's a thing. Let's see if this works." Um, and then all three of us work together to like flesh those mechanics out. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Well, how, how else does the game change? Any any really dramatic things i think that, uh pretty much the tools that the hunter has have changed quite a bit uh right now i believe they originally there was just a trap a bow and arrow and a lantern which the lantern was incredibly op and we had to scrap it pretty quick <laughs> yeah so the original the lantern originally lit up one side of the board for three turns yeah and uh, if the monster walked in there or was in there, they'd be found out pretty quick. And after playtesting for quite a while, it, we ended up taking that out. In addition to that, um, the crossbow originally, as it stands right now, has two functions. It can be shot through the middle space to be to light up the opposite tile. So, Because middle space is a campfire, so it's basically like getting a firelit arrow. Uh, originally, you could just shoot it around and... Shoot it in the darkness if you think you know where the uh, monster is. So those are two mechanics for the hunter that have changed quite a bit since they were first thought up. The uh, the chicken leg ability has also gone through some um, rigorous name changing. And um, the uh, monster originally didn't have a dash ability. So we've been constantly going through and reiterating, like messing around with the abilities and changing them for balance purposes. 
Josh, did you say chicken leg? Yes. Is that really? not what it's called anymore? <laughs> no, it's called the mutton. Like he said, oh. it's gone, it's gone through a lot of name changes. Like different meats. Who knows anymore? Yeah. Well, you talked a lot about playtesting. Tell us kind of how that process has been going for you. It's long. It's very long. <laughs> it's not <laughs> over. We're still yeah, doing. Things are still slightly being changed as um, the global community gets a hold of the rules and the um, ability to start getting like paper prototypes of the game. Mm-hmm. What is interesting though about about, about the playtesting uh, is that when we very first started the project, you know, I at least personally had had never really done that sort of thing before, like the whole playtesting, um, and it's obviously a really really important part of the process. And I thought it was going to be awful, like the worst thing ever. It was actually a lot of fun, which I was not expecting, um, because I was able to bring the prototype of the game while we were still working on it to like my family members and be like, "Hey, play this thing," um, and then it was interesting to see like what they thought, um, and then some of the suggestions that my family members had uh, greatly affected how we changed the game later on. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get any really bad playtesting advice? I wouldn't say like bad but like i mean we've got a few advice we've gotten a few changes that we never like necessarily always wanted to add you know it's like everyone does everyone gets feedback that's not necessarily going to be put in right no one ever wanted to like reinvent the entire game they're like this is great but it needs to be a spelling game (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we ever had that (laughs) nothing that drastic i think our most drastic change was just removing the uh the lantern so Once Ape Games got involved, they take the steering wheel, or they just kind of let you guys keep working away at it. How has that played out? Um, well, uh, I was sort of the main point of contact between Ape Games and then uh, the other two on the team. And at first, when he first contacted us, we had no idea what would come of any of it. Um, you know, he was like, "I think your game is cool," so we threw together together this uh, shabby prototype and sent it to him. Um, and he he tried it out, and he would re- he would email me back and be like. Hey, you know, have you thought about adjusting this mechanic to be like this? Or what do you think about this change or whatever? And because we still weren't really sure, like, what was going on or, like, what would happen, um, and we were still at school at the time, so we were all in the same place, we were able to playtest any changes that he suggested. And so there was a lot of that for a couple months, like, back and forth iteration of the game's mechanics and that sort of thing, um, before he finally was like, hey, I'd like to pick this up. Hmm. And then after that, he, yeah, has very much... Um, taken the steering wheel, as you said, when it comes to the Kickstarter, because none of us have any idea what's going on. We've never done a Kickstarter before, whereas Ape Games, I think, has done eight, Yeah, I believe, for his other games. So he is basically a pro, and, you know, I trust him. I trust that he knows what he's doing. Right, right. Let's talk more about the Kickstarter. I think you guys are, are starting to wind down, maybe in your last week or two. Uh, but overall, how have things gone for you? Very well so far, yeah, I would say. Really awesome. <laughs> yeah. The the first day, I think we made over three thousand dollars, and in the first week, eight days, uh, we've made over fourteen thousand dollars of our sixteen thousand dollar goal. So wow. this is going really, really well. That's great. That's great. I think I can speak for uh, all three of us when I say that um, this whole thing has been like really surreal. Because, you know, like I said, this started as my, you know, panic-induced 20-minute extravaganza uh, two hours before class, like, crap, I need to come up with an idea. 
And, you know, you fast forward a year and all of a sudden this game is like right on the verge of actually for real getting published. And it's crazy. It's so cool. Yeah. You have 500 people being like, wow, this is the game I want and I'm going to give you money for it. You know, it's very, <laughs> it's very surreal. Ar- Arwen, you need to have more panic moments in your life, clearly. <laughs> Dude, you're right. <laughs> Arwen, your entire life is a panicked moment. You're right as well. <laughs> <laughs> So, given this is your first experience on Kickstarter, has it, has it met your expectations? Anything caught you off guard that you weren't expecting? It looks like a lot of work. <laughs> um, we, actually, we didn't like put it together because, like I said, Kevin has really been um, the one who's been involved in all of that. Um, but they're they're like really elaborate. Like the amount of detail that you have to provide is is pretty intense. I mean, which it's understandable though because you want to describe everything as much as possible. Because otherwise, why would people give you their actual real money right one thing that i didn't expect because i had had a little bit of experience looking at kickstarters before was the comment section i didn't realize there was going to be a comment section on the kickstarter which i you know i it's become a habit of like every hour checking it to see how much money we made but i actually (laughs) find myself looking at the comments way more than i look at the amount of money we've raised so i think that's a really really cool aspect to it What has the feedback been in the comments or just the community in general? Um, We've had a couple people actually give tips on like, oh, this mechanic seems like you may put one side a little more overpowered than the other. Have you thought of this? Or, And those comments are the most useful because like we said, we're still tweaking things. We are students. We know we don't know everything. And we take any feedback as good feedback that's worth looking at. Not necessarily that it's going to be implemented, but we would like anything that we can get. Other than that, just seeing people's excitement and like actual desire to play the game is great for us. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about there, this game is still in, in a process. What, what's the uh, what's the game plan for actually getting it out the door? Kevin has a more solid game plan than what we are um, aware of at this point. Uh-huh. I'm pretty confident that after the Kickstarter, which ends in, I believe, 13 days, the game should be out and ready within the month or two afterwards. And I want to say the month, but since I don't know 100%, uh, I'm going to say month or two after the Kickstarter's over. Sure, sure. But but you, you're still polishing the rules? I mean, you think you'll have the rules done before the Kickstarter's oh, yeah, over? We'll oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. So at, at this stage in the campaign, I mean... Uh, are you involved with promotion at all? I mean, you're doing this podcast, for example. Are you doing other things to help promote the game? We actually had another interview this morning at noon, and we have another one next Wednesday. Oh, really? And yeah, we're trying, and our all of our social media is blown up with Dark is the Night, up and down, <laughs> asking family and friends to share this status or retweet our tweet to get the word out there. And Kevin has done, a, of course, a decent amount of uh, advertising for the game as well, since he has a much larger reach, you know, since he's right. like the publisher and lots of people are looking to see uh, what he's doing. He's been instrumental in getting the word out there about the game. Right, right. Well, so out of curiosity, was there anything about Kevin and Ape Games that that you liked? Or was it the case of, hey, here's a publisher, they're interested, let's do this? Pretty much the second one. <laughs> um, <you> know, <laughs> Hey, your game is cool, and we're like, hell yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, basically, because um, it was just, it was so like weird, almost because it was completely unexpected, totally out of the blue. So it was really, really exciting when he actually contacted us. 
One thing that uh, I think we can all say about Kevin is he's pretty decent about bringing any problems or any changes that he might think are necessary to our attention. He's always emailing Arwen ready to tell her like, okay, hey, here's a mechanic that I think we might need to change or there's a problem with the production so we might have to wait a little bit before we get get it on Kickstarter. I think that happened to us before um, this Kickstarter actually started. So I think communication has actually been pretty decent between Mm -hmm. us and Kevin and that's a godsend because communication is key to something like this. Right, definitely. So are you guys working on any any other games? Can we expect to see your names here in the future? Um, Josh, you want to tell them about your internship? internship? Um, yeah, I'm currently interning at a small game company called uh, F84 Games up here in LA. Awesome. And uh, I'm helping them create new obstacles and things for their game called uh, Tootsie Pop. It's, it's basically like Candy Crush, if I'm sure you've heard of that. Sure, of course. And then they, have, they also have a few other personal projects on the side. And then, so, but other than that, you know, like any other games we're working on are mostly just like personal stuff for our portfolios and things like that that we're hoping we can turn into like game sellers in the future. But as of right now, I think that's pretty much what we're all doing. Well, me and Arwen have also an internship where, uh, where, and it's an internship through Bradley. And it's actually really hard to describe it because it's Weird. going through a lot of chains. <laughs> yeah. So NASA gave. U, uh, University of Illinois and Northwestern a grant to do engineering stuff and also to make a game with it. So <laughs> they contacted us asking us to be in on this NASA grant and I'm serving as creative director and Arwen is serving as art director. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty legit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's new and it's definitely a challenge. And it should be done by the time we graduate next year. That's the end date of the internship. Well, so question for all three of you. What advice do you have for uh, you know, perhaps a fellow student who's thinking of launching a game or, or even just you know, someone who's sitting at home thinking, boy, I could wish I could be a game designer. What, what would you tell them? I would say even the craziest idea can be made into a game if you work hard enough. <laughs> so... Even your uh, your your coffee fueled crazy pipe dream, you could always you could turn it into something, you know. And then once you make it, don't be afraid to get it out there because it's never going to become anything if no one knows about it. Right. Um, this is some like it's kind of generic advice, but I think it it really applies. Um, if you're working on something, if you if you can help it, you know, sometimes you don't have a choice if it's for a class, but. Do make a project with people that you can actually work with. Because if you try to work with people that you don't get along with or that, you know, that sort of thing, it it's not going to happen. Because, you know, I did this project with these two and they're both my friends and it, it worked out really well, obviously. Um, I've done projects in the past where, you know, the team members didn't necessarily get along and it, it was not nearly as smooth sailing um, as this was. Because, you know, while we were all working on the project together... And it just, it went really well. Like, even even in the middle of, like, wow, this this mechanic is super broken. We should probably fix that. It it was an issue, but at the same time, like, it wasn't a problem. Like, we totally had it um, because all three of us worked together so well. So I think that's really, really important. And, I mean, that applies to pretty much everything in life. So that's not, probably not particularly helpful, but I still think that essential. Um, one piece of advice, and it's going to sound weird, but I'll explain it, is... Um... Be ready to kill your baby. 
Be ready to kill your baby. That's something somebody here taught me that. I don't remember who, but somebody at Bradley taught me that. It sounds familiar, yeah. And it basically be ready to get feedback that's gonna say your thing sucks. Um and be ready to kill your baby. Like it's done, but we're gonna bring it back, we're gonna bring it back better than ever. So like once you get that feedback, you need to take it all into consideration. Don't get mad at bad feedback. Sit down and really think about what the person said. Find the value in it because it's there somewhere and use that to make whatever you're making better. All right. Good advice, all of you. Well, guys, it's time for me to let you in on a little secret. That here on Your Tables on Fire, we like to bring game designers in, not necessarily to talk about their game, but more importantly, to play a different game we call the Game Design Challenge. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) What does that mean exactly? Yes, so what that means is I'm going to pick a random game theme. I'm going to present it to you. You guys can discuss. And then pitch back to me what on earth that game might be. All right. Okay. (laughs) You up for that? Yeah. Okay. So let me see if I can find a theme here. And that theme is going to be... Fast food of the dead. This feels like I am 110. <laughs> um, okay, fast food of the dead. Uh, so we're talking like, you know, instead of french fries, it's like fingers? Like That's what I'm zombies. thinking. Is, is, is the food going to be undead? Is or the food, the food is people. Or the people it's got to be fresh people, though, because it's, it, no, it's fast food. It doesn't have to be fresh. Well, okay, we, we can pull the, the classic finger food joke. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> what plat- what platform? Because then we can start getting into like the It's inputs. gotta be it's gotta be VR. It can't be anything else. Okay, okay, for vibe, right? right? For the vibe well, it could be both. We can have a cross platform, you know, Vibe Oculus. Whatever yeah, works. I have touch controllers. Okay. Exactly. Food quickly enough, you get killed and eaten. So it's like a survival horror game. Right. Okay, so you're working behind the kitchen, right? <laughs> and you're making these finger foods um, out of various Body parts and people, you know, don't, don't do it right or you don't do it quick enough. Somebody comes back, takes your place, right? And now you are being served. Aww. It could be like a, that's like an endless runder mechanic. It, like it never <laughs> ends. You keep the player keeps changing characters because, and then they have to serve their character that failed. Does that makes sense. You could also have it be like you, maybe you're like out in like some canyon and you, you're 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 a fast food restaurant for cannibals. But, like, the people, the cannibals behind the counter, if you don't serve them fast enough, they get too hungry and they just jump over the counter and eat you. And then, like, they just gotta filter in the next person. Like, they'll have, like, a line of people waiting to, like, work as the receptionist behind this desk. And if they don't work fast enough, they get eaten and they send the next one in, you know, just like, all right, number 152, you're up. And, but it, and so they just go and they just gotta serve these cannibals, these very few cannibals who have an insatiable appetite. Everything has to go just like that. Like number one, you completely trivialize the fact that these people are actually being served <laughs> as <laughs> right. Make, it that, make that like a side fact that nobody notices until they actually yeah. talk about it. <laughs> so like they're not actually serving food; they are the food. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, that got dark really fast. The finger, the finger food is just the appetizer. The, the person behind the desk is the actual meal. You know. Yes. It's like the fries to your burger. <laughs> so wow. is that? That's that's the next bestseller. You heard of that? Here? That is amazing. I, I'm I don't know if I should be, should be excited about this idea or just really disturbed. One or the other. Both is good. Both is okay. good. There you go. There you go. Well done. Well done, all of you. 
Well, Thank Arwen, you. Josh, Zach, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. My pleasure, and best of luck with the rest of your campaign. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you. Well, that was Zach Abbott, Josh Estill, and Arwen Boyer, the designers of Dark is the Night, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to your Tables on Fire. You can follow us on Twitter at TableFire. You can also check out our website for show notes and a link straight to Dark is the Night. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BoardGameGeek. Check us out on any of those sites and give us your feedback. We want to know what you think about the show. Well, until next time, go light it up. <laughs>